I have shakily lived my life the last seven years with metastatic breast cancer. I recently heard this experience referenced kind of like the Smokey the Bear fire threat level sign, constantly on high alert for danger. For many years, I was in the green as I celebrated no evidence of disease, scan after scan. Then I started inching up to yellow, then nearing red. We are all hopeful this new chemo will lower my threat level again. But as of today, I think I'm hovering around yellow, maybe a little orange. Stable on this current chemo, but my lungs are still surrounded by cancerous fluid. My left lung is severely impaired. I think about those cancer cells often, and I hope they don't get feisty and set up camp in my bones, liver, or brain. Living in such uncertainty is exhausting and overwhelming. If you think you're fatigued by this pandemic, try seven years of terminal cancer. Welcome to the Run Lift Mom podcast, where we're talking about running, lifting, and momming, not necessarily in that order. The audio that you just heard was from a podcast called A Hopeful Life with host Laura McGregor, who is also the founder of Hope Scarves, which is a nonprofit, as well as she's a former guest from the Run Lift Mom podcast in October 2019. Now, what you just heard straight out of Laura's mouth was from earlier this year. And friends, I'm sad to report that Laura is in the red right now. And so this re-release has very purposeful timing. The audio that you're about to hear is when she was originally on Run Lift Mom with that terminal diagnosis. She talks about initially being diagnosed with breast cancer when she was seven months pregnant, can you imagine? As well as her experience, which led to the founding of Hope Scarves and metastatic breast cancer, the difference between breast cancer and metastatic breast cancer and how it is underfunded and how it can be a real elephant in the room for women undergoing treatments. Guys, I want to shine a light on Laura. I want to shine a light on her courage. She is still currently recording a Hopeful Life podcast. And friends, in the show notes, if you want to click details or swipe up, I'm going to put several recent episodes that you need to hear as her journey unfolds rather publicly, like right in our ears. They are interviews with others, but also there's this ongoing narrative of courage. She is an amazing woman, and she is truly living a life over cancer. So without further ado, here's Laura McGregor of Hope Scarves. I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 30 years old and seven months pregnant with our second child. And I had been leading a, a very healthy pregnancy, you know, doing all the things, you know, you're supposed to do to um, be as healthy as possible. And um, it just really came out of nowhere. I actually had gone for a three-mile run the morning of my seven-month checkup with my OB. And when I went in, I was running through the list of questions I had, and one of which was this um, bit of discomfort I had in my left breast that I assumed was just pregnancy changes. And luckily he was 
suspicious. And he immediately sent me off for a biopsy. And what we assumed was just a clogged milk duct basically set in motion um, a crazy spiral um, that has been the last 12 years. Um, I was diagnosed uh, with stage two breast cancer and, um, you know, cancer is hard to hear at any point in your life, certainly being 30 years old, no family history, um, and pregnant was really, um, earth shattering. Um, let me, I mean, I just want to pause and make sure that people are hearing you say you're seven months pregnant. You're a healthy woman. You're seven months pregnant. Your nursery was probably getting, you know, decorated at this point. I'm sure cancer was the furthest thing from your mind when you went in for that OB appointment and said, Hey, this kind of feels funny on the left side. Oh yeah. I mean, I was completely an afterthought. I mean, the doctor was actually like halfway out the door when I was like, Oh wait, you know, Dr. Sharp, I have this one other thing I wanted to mention to you. And, um, well, I mean, I was, it was just not even on my, you know, radar. Um, but I'm, I am so fortunate that he was immediately concerned and I am, had an, an endocrine sensitive cancer, which means it was fueled by the estrogen in my body. And so they've, this actual fact of being pregnant was like, you know, feeding my cancer, which made it an, an even more dangerous situation. Um, having an estrogen sensitive so cancer when estrogen is just pulsing through your body. So they stage it at two, but because you're pregnant and you know that estrogen is feeding it, wow, that's that is a very scary scenario. So at that point, I mean, do they take the baby or do they start chemotherapy? We ended up doing a lumpectomy right away to see if we could just um, get clear margins and get the cancer out. We were not able to be successful in that surgery. And so I started chemotherapy and um, I can remember just walking into the OB's office um, that morning, or, or I'm sorry, to the oncologist's office that morning. And the lady at the front desk actually told me I was in the wrong place, that the OB was on the, you know, the floor above us. And I just looked at her with tears in my eyes and said, no, I'm in the right place. I'm here to see Dr. Harvey. And um, I started chemotherapy. Um, and I can, I had a drug called adromycin cytoxin, which is called the red devil. And they, it's so toxic. They have to pump it by hand into your veins. And, um, you know, here I am leading this like incredibly healthy pregnancy and I'm not eating, you know, any all you know, eating healthy, I'm microwaving my lunch meat, I'm not drinking caffeine, I'm just having, you know, trying to create the most ideal situation for our baby. And, I'm pumping toxic chemicals directly into my veins as I, you know, rest my hand on my belly and feel our baby kicking. It was completely surreal and and, and it just been a really life altering experience, you know, for for our young family. Um, but we had four rounds of chemo together, my son and I, um, and so I lost my hair. So you know, I'm. I'm Full, you know, fully pregnant, bald. Um, when a box re- um, shows up in the mail from a friend of a friend who I had never met, and it was full of scarves, and it meant so much to me to get these scarves from Kelly because I 
hadn't really given much thought to losing my hair. I was so concerned with, you know, the health of our baby. Um, so it was very practical gift as I was facing chemo, but also just so inspiring knowing this other young mom had faced cancer. It just helped me have that same strength and courage, you know, that she did. And so um, Bennett and I had four rounds of chemo and then he was born healthy and um, at full term. And one of the kind of, I guess, uh, laughable moments in the midst of all of this craziness was he was actually born with bright red hair <laughs> and I have no red hair in my family. And, you know, it was just a complete kind of like surprise. Um, but he'd had this red chemo, you know, yeah, together, the red so, <laughs> yeah. So he just kind of, um, became known as our little chemo baby. And, um, to this day has that same bright red hair and, you know, really it's just a reminder, you know, every time I look at him at, you know, just the miracle that he was for our family and just that he, you know, is healthy. And, and in a way, you know, I, the, yes, the pregnancy was fueling my cancer, but I also think it alerted me to the cancer. I was 30 years old. I wasn't, you know, going to have a mammogram for another 40 years or another 10 years, you know, if I, if I waited till I was 40, which now was even sometimes later than that. And then I, you know, wasn't really going to the doctor on a regular basis because I was so healthy. So I, I think that pregnancy also brought the cancer out and helped us, you know, be able to start treating it. And I choose to look at that as the, you know, as a positive instead of the, the negative of the, you know, being diagnosed while I was pregnant. So I, it, did feel like that time in our life was kind of ripped, you know, from us. And it's supposed to be just such a happy, joyful time of, you know, welcoming a baby. And instead it was just wrought with fear and, you know, sickness and yeah, but worry. The, um, the OB appointment. I mean, I, I love your point about in a way he saved your life. Yeah. I mean, the you know, the, the pregnancy probably pushed it and made it grow, but it caused me to recognize it and feel it and take action. So, um, it was a, it was completely a crazy time for all of our family. I, I often explain cancer treatment as like living in an alternative reality and you're just completely existing, almost separate from the world. And it can be very isolating, even, you know, surrounded by people who love you and care for you, but it can be, it can be really isolating. And um, so then after, he was born, I actually went back to chemo nine days later. So I had to continue my, my chemotherapy and I had um, seven more rounds of uh, another more toxic chemo that I couldn't have while I was pregnant with him and followed that up with a double mastectomy and reconstruction. And I came home from um, those surgeries on Mother's Day um, to my three-month-old baby and two-year-old, um, older son. And, um, so it was, like I said, it was just a, a, a whirlwind of, um, fear and worry and, you know, just being young, a young mom and, you know, facing cancer. But, um, you know, through all that, as you know, many people with early stage breast cancer, you, face it with hope and determination and a clear path of treatment that 
you know, hope will be able to, you know, put the cancer in remission. And, and that is what we achieved. So after about a year of, of treatments and, you know, surgeries and chemotherapy, um, I had a clear PET scan and, and looked like everything was, was good. And, um, so we were, you know, came out of it really incredibly grateful, um, for that. And, gave me the opportunity to reflect on, you know, all of the experiences that we had had. And one that just stuck out to me so much was receiving those scarves um, from Kelly. And so I, I reached out to her to get her address and, and see if I could send them back to her and, and thank her for sharing them with me. And she said, just find somebody else who can use them. And mm-hmm. so I packed them up and, and took them to a conference for young women diagnosed with breast cancer. And I met a woman from Pittsburgh named Roberta. And I showed her how to wear the scarves and encouraged her at the start of her treatment, um, you know, with the same love that had been shared to me from Kelly. And I realized that in passing the scarves on to Roberta, how much they meant not only in receiving them when I needed them, but also passing them on and encouraging someone else and just sharing my love, you know, and, and, and strength with someone else allowed me to heal. And that, that experience really became Hope Scarves. So I started in my spare bedroom of my house with my (laughs) two-year-old volunteer by my side and, you know, just kind of took this experience that I had had with, you know, Kelly and Roberta and thought, how can I create the same sense of connection for other women? And so I wrote a business plan and, you know, created a website and attended a couple conferences or I brought the idea, you know, to the world. And it was just amazing the immediate response that people had that they mm. wanted to share their stories. They wanted to give their scarves to someone else. And um, so we created a program where scarves are shared in three ways. So we have a, a personal request program where you can request a scarf for yourself if you're going through treatment for any type of cancer or experiencing hair loss from another, you know, injury or illness. And then we have a gift scarf program where you can send a hope scarf to someone you know who is in treatment and you can write a a personal note that goes right inside with the package. And that part really grew from so many people asking me, you know, what did you appreciate when you were going through treatment? I have a friend who's starting treatment. What should I do for her? And so the gift scarf program allows people to share a practical gift that also is, is really inspirational. And our, our gift scarf program is actually, you know, just almost as high as our personal request. So I love that we can provide support to other people, supporting people they care about. Can I get you, Laura? I don't want to glaze over this part. Can you tell us the difference between um, metastatic breast cancer and other types of breast cancer? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for asking. So I was originally diagnosed with stage two breast cancer in 2007. Seven years later, in 2014, I developed some low back pain that I thought was um, just some running discomfort. I'd been training for a trail marathon and was um, doing a lot of trail running. Um, But an MRI revealed I had a a fist-sized tumor in my sacrum. And with a biopsy, we discovered that it was metastatic breast cancer. So that means the cells that were causing this large tumor in my bone were breast cancer cells. 
And that is what metastatic means. It means it's spread beyond the primary spot of your cancer diagnosis, so for beyond the breast tissue and breast cancer. And in metastatic breast cancer, it typically spreads to your bones, your lung, your liver, brain. It spreads to other places as well. Those are typically the primary areas. And what people don't realize is that breast cancer stage one through three are, you know, treatable and often it's easy, right? It's easy to do, to like wear pink and paint everything pink and pink is beautiful. And it's kind of in fashion come October. Um, but <laughs> I mean, the numbers that you just threw out there, Laura, they're, they are staggering. Um, and so I love, so the, the money that hope scarves raise, I'm assuming goes directly to metastatic breast cancer research. Right. So we have two funds at Hope Scarves. So one is our, our general fund, which helps fund our scarves and story program. It helps send scarves around the country and support all of our, you know, all of our scarf and story collection and distribution. And we added a research fund after my metastatic diagnosis that is directly supports metastatic breast cancer research. And so when you give to the research fund, a hundred percent of that money goes to metastatic breast cancer research. And we have an anonymous donor that matches every dollar one-to-one. Once it's treated, it doesn't come back. So you're in remission and you hear people living, you know, long, healthy lives. No one dies of breast cancer in their breast. So that's like important for people to realize. If you have a friend who has breast cancer in their breast, it's hard. I mean, all of the story I just shared of all the experiences and the treatment and the scans and the you know, chemotherapy and the surgeries, it's very hard. But as long as it's maintained, it's contained to your breast, you can live. Mm-hmm. It's once the cancer spreads beyond your breast and becomes metastatic, that's a terminal diagnosis. So if somebody dies of breast cancer, they die of metastatic breast cancer. And we all know the statistic that one in eight people, you know, will be diagnosed with breast cancer. But what people don't realize is of people diagnosed with breast cancer, one in three will progress to metastatic disease. Wow. And that can be six months, one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. Yeah. It can be at any point after their initial treatment. And one in three breast cancer survivors will become metastatic. The average life expectancy with metastatic disease right now is two to three years. And 115 people die every day of metastatic breast cancer in the United States. And all of those facts were really kind of hidden from me as an early stage breast cancer survivor. And I think if you talk to most breast cancer survivors and many people who walk and, you know, walk and, you know, wear pink and celebrate, you know, breast cancer during the month of October, this kind of the elephant in the room is metastatic disease. And it is just not something that is talked about and really was very eye-opening to me when I was thrust into, you know, this metastatic world in 2014 to realize I, I thought I had a double mastectomy, no boobs, no cancer. You know, <laughs> how was I going to have breast cancer if I didn't have boobs? Yeah. That is not how cancer, breast cancer kills you. It doesn't kill you in your breast. It kills you when it spreads to other parts of your body. That's metastatic breast cancer or stage four breast cancer. And what's staggering, you know, and 
very eye-opening to us, you know, here at Hope Scars and, and to me as a, as a metastatic patient was how little that was talked about, how very few people understood that and how even me as a, as a breast cancer survivor, I didn't want to think about that. I didn't, you know, I kind of like maybe glanced over some of that information and that wasn't me. You know, I didn't want to read that part. I didn't want to think about reoccurrence. It's terrifying to early stage, you know, breast cancer patients to think about it. But the reality is I think we need to educate ourselves on the, on the, on the facts. And the scariest fact of all is that of all the millions and millions and billions of dollars raised for breast cancer awareness and, you know, in the name of breast cancer, less than 5% goes to metastatic breast cancer research. So money that is used to save people's lives. Billions of dollars have been spent on prevention and awareness, and it's just time for a change. It shook, my diagnosis shook our organization and that we were like a lot of other cancer organizations and that we were, you know, sharing the happy stories of people who had beat cancer and, you know, go on and live your life and, you know, find, you know, gratitude and a more meaningful, you know, purpose after cancer and, you know, sharing all these happy stories. And when I was faced with this terminal illness, it was like, what the hell? We're, we're completely, like, we're completely missing the point here. Like, there is, there, I could no longer find hope in beating cancer because that was not available to me. And so we took out all the language about beating cancer at Hope Scarves and we changed it to facing cancer. And we talk about living life over cancer instead of placing our hope in beating it. We talk about just living each day and living a life of intention and gratitude, you know, over this cancer diagnosis. You're and that allows us to it, encompass but you're over it. I love that. Yeah. And it allows us to encompass advanced stages so much more than I think a lot of cancer campaigns that just talk about like, you're a warrior, you beat cancer. And then for someone like me, who I will never, I have stage four metastatic breast cancer. It is not going to go away unless we have you know, advances and science and treatment options. Right now, there is no cure for metastatic breast cancer. But so that somehow I feel then, I don't feel like I fit into this category of like beating it. And, you know, like I'm, I, I somehow I'm less strong because I can't beat it. And I'm not, you know, so it just, we just changed all that language. And it really made our organization just a deeper, more thoughtful organization to recognize that whatever stage that you are, you're facing cancer and living life over cancer. And that if we were truly going to change the way people experience cancer, that the scarves and the stories are inspirational and they're practical, you know, when you're facing treatment. But if we really were going to change the way people experience cancer, we had to invest in science and we had to be part of furthering understanding and finding more treatment options. And so our research fund focuses specifically on metastatic breast cancer. And we've raised um, $300,000 over the past three years, which has been matched one-to-one for a total investment of $600,000 in metastatic breast cancer research. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's amazing. And I know that listeners like Jaw is on the, I don't know, car floor, wherever they're listening to this. (laughs) Yes, guys, you are listening to a woman that says, I have a terminal diagnosis and I hope it fires everybody up to hear you 
I mean, describe truly living life. I mean, you're taking life by the horns. No, we're all going to die. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're all going to die. Unfortunately, you you kind of know how that's going to happen. Yeah, I you know, I, I, it hasn't been easy. I mean, after my original diagnosis, I went into a pretty dark depression and was really terrified and really scared. And the statistics and the reality was, um, I mean, it was, it was horrible. And I lost many friends in the first year of my treatment that I had learned and, you know, about connected to, and then I just watched them die. I made a very a conscious decision and I, and I have to reaffirm, you know, this choice almost daily, you know, that I can't live in the perceived future. I have to live right now today and make choices that allow me to live with gratitude and joy. And I'm just, I am a person of action. And so I had to do something to try to help other people facing this disease. You know, I realized that the work we're investing in the science that, you know, we're funding is probably not going to save my life, but it's going to lay, you know, a couple, you know, stones in a path that's going to lead us to advancing treatment options for other people facing this disease. And that's what we want to be a part of, you know, that we have created a community here at Hope Scarves that, you know, about supporting each other and celebrating, you know, our lives and the connection that we have and, you know, shared, you know, our shared story of facing cancer. But then we double down on research to recognize that we want to try to be part of the change. And I think that's the message that, you know, I'm screaming from the rooftops this October, you know, I'm talking about getting on my hope box and, you know, <laughs> that like as everything turns pink is, you know, to really ask some questions about how money is being used. Now it's time to shift our focus onto research and specifically on metastatic breast cancer research, because if we can find treatment options to make metastatic breast cancer a chronic disease, something that you can, you can live with, you know, with treatments, then the, the trickle-down effect to people with earlier stage breast cancer is incredible. You know, if you don't have to fear, you know, being the one in three that advances to metastatic disease and dies, we're all better off. And so I really encourage early stage breast cancer patients to not be afraid of the metastatic story or the metastatic patient because they represent, you know, your biggest fear, but instead like become their ally, rally around the need for research and the focus on supporting people with metastatic disease, you know, just help understand the facts and demand more money for research. Friend, thank you for listening to that conversation with Laura McGregor. I want to remind you that if you click details or swipe up, you are going to see where you can donate to Hope Scarves, which is Laura's legacy. And it's a huge legacy, and it is a light in the metastatic breast cancer community. Also, you're going to see her podcast, A Hopeful Life, and it is still being recorded on a weekly basis, and her courageous journey is unfolding before our ears. She is so amazing. This is really a trial turned testimony, and we are actively praying for Laura. 
I really want to bring this to the forefront because she needs our support right now. Her organization needs our support. Her community needs our support. So hit up those show notes. And until I get into your earpiece again, remember, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. That's from 1 Timothy 4.8. And this has been the Run Lift Mom podcast.